Blog Talk Radio. Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Annie. We are on scan number 3,159, which means that's how many shows we're going to have in our archives. I'm happy and excited to introduce to you our special guest this evening. However, first, we have a single purpose at NAFCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, or CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors, of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3159. And if you'd like to be part of the panel this evening, please call 646-595-2118. We'll meet you on the back line and ask if you would like to ask a question or have anything to say. We would love to have you join us and support our guests. You can access any of the past shows by going to www.naafca.org and searching for the scam number of the show you wish to access. There's also many shows that you can just click on if you'd like to uh, listen to even more shows. Now, our special guest this evening is um, Sonova, I'm saying around probably, Cantrell from Missouri, and he is going to... Um, Go ahead and uh, introduce her. Annie? She's probably checking on the uh, the other guests. So we've got a bunch of them. <laughs> so, um, I'll introduce I'm, myself. Uh, That's okay. I'm good oh, at it. Perfect. I can do it. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Well, my name's Sonova. I am an award-winning author, speaker, and life coach, I have the honor of being um, a co-host here on the second Thursday of every month. I am so grateful 
because I started writing and as a true crime writer because I wanted to help the victims' family members. I wanted to help people with violent crime. And so now I have, with all of my coaching and all my study and certifications, I have um, the official certification as a life coach, and I'm finally able to go back and help the same people that I had the heart for to begin with. And so I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to be here. Uh, Thank you, Victoria, for co-hosting with me, and thank you, Annie, for jumping on the phone for us. Okay. Well, um, would you, do you guys, uh, Snowba, do you have a topic for tonight? Would you go ahead and uh, get us started? Sure. I've got a topic for us tonight. I um, I was listening to this seminar, and the man's name is Jim Rohn. He's a really wonderful um, – he was kind of a coach before life coach became a thing. And he called his seminar Diseases of Attitude. And he was talking about six different attitudes that will keep you stuck. And I got to thinking about it and doing some study. And I think there might be a couple more than six. But I was thinking of this audience here. And I was thinking how a lot of these things that creep into our mindsets we don't necessarily, we're not intentional about these thought processes. This is just kind of a habit or things that kind of sneak in. And, uh, you know, the concept of NASCA is to prevent more child abuse, uh, prevent more violent crimes along those lines, but it's also to help people that have been a victim to go from victim to vitality. We want you to listen to these shows. We want you to reach out to the support groups. We want you to get out of the victim mentality and learn how to live again. We don't want you to stay stuck because the way I look at it anyways, and I believe the the founders of NASCA agree, um, the way I look at it is you're the attacker or the, the person that harmed you. They have taken enough from you. They have taken enough, and so it's time for you to learn how to live again and not give them another piece of your existence. And so when I was researching these things, I was thinking, wow, this would really help the NASCA crowd because some of these things sneak in, and it's all due to some of this trauma that maybe we have stuffed in the background since childhood and we think, oh, it's no big deal. I've, I've, I've dealt with it. But in reality, we haven't dealt with it at all. We've just stuffed it. And I thought, well, some of these diseases of attitude, I call them deadly, deadly attitudes, um, some of these actually sneak in and they come, their actual source is from that trauma. And so I thought, I want to go over these. I come up with seven or eight um, I will read down the list, and then we will go through one by one, and we'll discuss each one. But I love the way Jim Rohn put this. He said, these diseases of attitudes or these deadly attitudes are like the weeds that grow in your garden. The weeds are natural, but they're not going to be um, helpful when it comes to growing the crops you're wanting to grow. And so these diseases of attitude, these weeds of the mind, they are natural. So it's not something you need to feel bad because you have slipped into one of these. 
It's a natural progression. But when you find a weed in your flower bed, you pull it up. And so that's what I hope tonight will help you do. It will help you identify uh, which one of these weeds that may have grown over time because of stuffing that trauma and which ones we need to pluck out so we can grow and become uh, what we're supposed to be because I believe every person has a purpose and I believe everyone listening has a purpose as well. Now, any if you have anybody on the phone, just jump in and interrupt me, okay? Do we have anybody now? We do. We have two people who are just listening for now, but we also have Bob from Australia who would like to participate. Hi, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for signing on. No worries, Annie. Um, this work that we are collectively doing is, for me, is essential. And um, from, my, from my own experience, um, I had a violent childhood, and um, what I what I realized was that I could not change my past, but within my heart, I had a feeling that I could go back and heal the wounds of my childhood, and so that's what I did in the in the 90s with the help of John Bradshaw, who again was like you know a life coach before life coaches <laughs> wasn't the thing, and. Um, and so now, for me, uh, how can I put it? My life is really simple now, having come through over 20 years of uh, depression, because I finally realized that depression was just a rite of passage. It was my body telling me that I'm not living my truth. And so now, I'd just like to share that. I drive my life under two principles and the first one is the KISS principle, keep it simple, sovereign, because I realize that the words I choose to use create my reality. And then the second principle, the Sue principle, is something I coined a dozen years ago. Um, S-U-E, we are all sovereign, unique, and equal, and everything else just flows from that. And both of those principles reside under the umbrella of integrity so for me without personal integrity none of the magic in my life could have happened because if I could lie to myself I could lie to anybody and so the biggest the biggest turning point the watershed moment in my life was 2005 when I became master and commander of my life and took full responsibility for it. And now my life is simple. Um, for me, there is only one law, do no harm, and I've only got one right, and that's the right of self-determination. And what I love about the Nazca Forum, it's a forum for like-hearted people to get together in the realization that everyone is on their own hero's journey. And... Um, Nobody else has got my answers. <laughs> finding, finding my solutions is my job. And so I say to everybody that's on the road, on their own hero's journey, whatever works for you is okay with me. I simply expect the same respect in return. Because 
I do not come here expecting agreement, for we are all unique. I simply expect your acceptance and validation of my own reality. And, and the answer for me to heal humanity, and that's what I'm here for, and I think everybody else is, what are we here? We are here just to lift each other, you know? And, exactly. and what I found... I love it. Yeah. And what I yeah. found is working... I and again, it's so um, simple. I'll shut up with yeah. this one. What, what <laughs> I found, the simple solution is... Sorry, Victoria. The simple solution is at grassroots level, feet on the ground, eyeball to eyeball, people just sharing their own stories because everybody holds a piece of the puzzle. And all mm-hmm. anyone has to do is to have the courage to share their own heart-centered truth. And that's how we're going to heal each other. I'll, cut it. I'll shut up now because I could go on for ages. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Bob. No, no, I love um, it. Yeah, Sonova, uh, I was also going to say, um, I like I like that uh, weed scenario that... Um, the weeds are natural and important because, um, and I really am looking forward to hearing um, how, you know, that we not block ourselves. I think, um, I think it gets a lot of people stuck. I was stuck in a lot of blame and shame and uh, that, that had me stuck for years, you know, because mm-hmm. cause I blame myself, yeah. you know, for things that I had mm-hmm. no control over. So I'm really, I'm really yeah. excited about hearing what you got to say here. So thanks a lot. Well, I'm so excited to hear more people coming on and actually um, having the same concept, the same mindset, because, you know, there is one thing, there's one one, um, thing that I like, when we're all in the same mindset, all in one accord, when we're all in the same mindset, we can accomplish great things, but we're so distracted and so pulled this way and that. And nowadays, I don't know how it is in Australia, Bob, Bob will have to tell us how it is over there, but I know in America, um, we have been so divided um, over everything that we've almost forgotten that, no, we're not going to agree on everything, and that's okay because we're different, and just because you disagree does not mean that you hate. It just means you have a different thought process. And so I am, I'm so glad to hear that uh, we've got people coming in that have the same mindset um, and it kind of builds a community and it builds a safe place for those that maybe haven't progressed as far in, uh, in their healing process, you know, because healing, it takes time. You know, you might have a, a, an injury and the injury itself heals up, but a lot of times the mind takes longer to heal than the actual body. And so I am, I'm excited to have Mr. Bob here. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And whoever is listening, I've got the streaming live um, through some of my platform as well. So whoever is listening, I know Billy's listening. Uh, he's out. Uh, he's in uh, Texas. He's so in the U.S. I'm not sure where Victoria and Annie are from, but uh, we are. We are getting a little bit of a of a of a eclectic group here. We got some people from quite a few different places. Um, so these deadly attitudes, these attitude weeds, there are 
seven or eight, and I'll read through them, and then we'll discuss them. And if you have something to say, just hop in, and and we try not to talk over each other too much, but there's always a little bit of a lag, so uh, everybody keep their patience. If you if you kind of get interrupted, it's not on purpose. Uh, we all are kind of hearing things at different times, so apologies are sent out uh, in advance on this. But uh, first. Uh, Attitude weed is indifferent. The second okay, one I mean, is indecision. Okay. Yeah, you 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 asked the question. Um, sorry to interrupt. You asked the question. No, no. What are things in Australia? And oh dear, you know, it's like Australia is still a prison colony. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but my. What I've come to realize is that feelings are hate and the, mm -hmm. and, the, and the society that we are living in, Western society, is set up to detach us from feelings in our, our mind. And that's why there's some weird noises going on in the background there. Yeah. So my point is that when I had my first panic attack and my body was just thrashing around, I had to take antidepressants because, you know, it was just uncontrollable. But going back in hindsight, what was happening with my body in the physical realm was just my body telling me, Bob, you've got to wake up and start living your truth, stop living your programming. And I tried for 20 years to think my way out of that and couldn't. And the only way I could get out of that was through feeling. So for me, the big one on the blackboard in golden letters, two foot high, is feelings are healings. And yet the Western healthcare system, or well, we don't have a healthcare system, is a disease management system. And what I noticed through my 25 years of uh, being addicted to antidepressants was that their primary role was to detach me from my feelings and so by doing that, there was no chance for me to get to my most powerful healing tool, which was my feelings. And, you know, and this for me is a no-brainer. Um, if antidepressants were effective, how come suicide, suicide rates are rising? Yeah, so that's my, um, my overview from sunny Australia, living in paradise in the Whitsunday Islands. And I won't interrupt again uh, until you um, um, allow space for comment. Thanks, Annie. So, Nova, are you still there? Hello? Hello, I can't. Hello. I'm sorry, I had my microphone muted. I was talking away. <laughs> I'm, running, I'm running three different devices here. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, you got the floor now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Bob, I appreciate what you said. You said feelings are are the indicators and, and kind of how your life is going. and um, 
we want to kind of stuff those things because they're uncomfortable or we don't want to out there, we don't want the world to see them. And so we, we've been taught to stuff them. So we take them and put them in our little mind attic in a trunk and we try to put it way back in the dark somewhere and forget about it. But what we don't realize is all of those things are, are indicators of something that is either good or bad or difficult in our life. And the more we ignore it, the more it's going to manifest itself into disease in the body. It's going to manifest into depression and anxiety. And, and that's where we've really got to understand that we need to pay attention to those. Um, and not just shove them away. We, there's something that needs to be done. We need to see and feel those emotions as hard as they are. We need to accept they are what they are, and then we've got to release them. And that is kind of a hard process to do, but it's something that needs to be done, or it will literally cause illness in the body later if you keep all of that in too long. So let's jump into the weeds of attitude. So the weeds of attitude the first one is indifference. The second one is indecision. The third one is doubt. Number four is worry. Number five is overcautious. Number six is pessimism. Now, number seven is complaining. And I added number eight. Um, and number eight is, um, oh, what did I title it? Hold on. Number eight is, um, I lost it. I'm sorry. Number eight is when you, uh, well, I'll have to throw in number eight when I find it in my notes because I have it all written down and number eight I've lost. So, but basically number eight is when you have um, let everything go. You have just decided self-care is unnecessary and, and you let that go. So that's basically what number eight is. I can't remember the word that I used to title that one, but that's the one that I added in. Um, so let's talk about indifference. Indifference is something that you think isn't very harmful, that it wouldn't cause too much trouble. How could it possibly keep you in, in uh, the victim mode versus helping you learn to live again? Um, how could indifference really hurt? Well, I'm here to tell you that it is very, very dangerous. Now, the actual definition is a lack of interest, concern, or sympathy apathy, nonchalance, a lack of enthusiasm. Now, apathy leads to lethargy and uh, depression. Now, depression, you've seen some people that literally you will literally depress themselves and study on negativity and stay there. Uh, I have people that I've known in my life that literally just depress themselves to death. They literally, that it, so it literally goes from just, eh, well, whatever, and it can literally lead to death later on. I have seen people just will themselves to death. And so they, uh, they decide that it's not important. Well, whatever. I'm not, I'm just going to take whatever life brings at me in. I don't care. Well, whatever. Well, the problem with that is, is every person on this planet has a purpose and a reason to be here. You weren't created by whatever you think the creation creator is. I have my own belief system, um, and this is not the place to discuss, you know, any kind of religious or spiritual esoteric type things. But you were here, whether you believe it came from the Big Bang or you think it came from, uh, from God or you think it came from whatever, if you think uh, aliens from outer space, I don't know. Here's the thing. 
you were put here by something for a reason. Nothing in nature happens by accident. See, nature is our example. We look out at trees. Trees aren't accidental. They grow. They have a specific purpose. They grow. They give shade. They recycle the air for us to breathe and for other animals to breathe. Uh, So that tree has a purpose. Now, that tree, you cut it down, you better replace it with another one, or we're going to eventually get into some issues. And so everything has a purpose, including the humans that are on this planet. You were here for a reason. And when you get to the point that you're indifferent and you're apathetic about life and you just don't really care, it literally degrades your quality of life. It destroys your relationships. And in this case, talking to this audience, it literally will keep you in the victim mentality. Now, if you have been a victim of violent crime, you have been a victim of abuse, you did not deserve that then, and that abuser does not deserve any more of you. And the longer you remain in the victim mindset, you are giving them another piece of your life. See, every day is just a link of moments. So you have this big, long chain. Everybody's seen chains. Well, each one of those links are a moment in your life. And that abuser may have way back there at the beginning of the chain taken some links away. They didn't have a right to those links then. But now all these links later, are you giving them more links? Are you going to say, okay, well, here's another one. Just take it. Here's another one. Just take it. No, no, that abuser did not deserve those links. They don't deserve your links from today. They don't deserve your links from tomorrow. So the longer you stay in that victim mentality, the longer they are, that abuser is is taking your life away. They are literally destroying you some more. And so I I encourage people when I when I talk to victims, family members, get angry. Stand up and don't let them take no more from you. And so this is where you've got to take and realize, well, I've got this little weed of indifference. It's not hurting anything. Well, what do weeds do in a garden? They don't just have one weed and then you come back a month later and it's still the one weed. No, that one weed has all of a sudden overtaken your flower bed and you're like, what happened? There was just one. Well, that's the way these weeds of attitude Uh, the way indifference, the way all of these things, that is the way it happens. It doesn't stay stagnant. So the longer you stay indifferent about life and think it doesn't matter and think that you don't matter and you don't have a purpose, the longer you think along those lines, the more the weeds are going to grow. And they're going to multiply. They're going to get bigger and harder to deal with. So eventually you're just going to have to plow them all down and and start over again. But we want to stop it before it gets there. We want to stop these weeds now, and we want to make sure that you're living an abundant, fulfilled life, that you've found your purpose, and that you can uh, thrive instead of just survive. So is there anybody else on, uh, on this uh, call now, Victoria or Annie, whoever's using it? Hello? Um, I think I have a couple friends on, but I think they're um, they're listening. 
And uh, no listening. Okay. Yeah, which is right. really great. Right. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it could well, be. All right. I will continue then. All right. The second one is indecision. Now, indecision is another one of those sneaky little things that it doesn't sound like it's that big a deal. But like, well, you know, I'm not sure, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. The problem is, is if that's the way you attack life, then eventually you're going to just keep waiting until it, the opportunity has gone. You're going to wait until you're too old to, to do that activity, or you're going to wait until that that person that was going to promote you or give you this job or give you this opportunity is no longer around, you're going to miss it. I tell people you can't sit on the fence until you're nothing but a Halloween decoration. Now, that might sound crass, but think about it. Are you going to sit on that fence trying to decide which way to get off until you're nothing but skin and bones? And then, I hate to tell you, you're going to fall off one way or the other. It's called gravity. So this is, you know, me being sarcastic here, but you've got to get off the fence. You've got to try something. The longer you sit there, the more you stagnate. See, standing water stagnates. The water is supposed to move. So are humans. We're supposed to move and grow and become. We're supposed to touch those around us. We're supposed to bring life and love and happiness to everyone around us like a river flowing through a desert. You know, it doesn't take very long if you get a river running through desert. It doesn't take very long before things start growing beside the riverbanks. That's what we as humans are supposed to do. And if everybody on this planet figured that out, then we wouldn't have any deserts. We wouldn't have any problems because we were all fulfilling our purpose. Unfortunately, that's not the way things work at this point. But my concept is indecision is the thief of opportunity is something that Jim Rohn said. I, I loved that. He, he, he's so, so good at what he does, and he's, he's kind of funny, so he's always telling jokes, but his jokes always lead, uh, you know, to a point. But think about it. If you're sitting on the fence trying to decide to go left or right, trying to decide which side of the fence to get off of, if you get off on the wrong side of the fence, it's not going to take you very long to figure it out. So then you can turn around, jump back over the fence, and go the other way. If you sit on the fence, you can contemplate whether way, which way you should go forever, and you never really figure it out. And so this is what's scary about this. Indecision will literally steal your life and your opportunities for you because it, you, it could last forever. You could be in this um, indecisive state forever. Um, now, this is what we need to understand, failing to decide. So if you decide you're not going to decide, that's actually deciding to fail. So if you, uh, I don't know who said that first, it's a quote, failing to decide is deciding to fail. And so this is where you want to, I'm not one of those that you should just jump and run at everything. You should have, you know, stay a minute and get your, all of the information, you know, get all the information, but make sure you make that informed decision fairly quickly. Don't just sit there until the opportunity flies by. And this is what uh, one of the things, you know, relating it back to NASCA, that indecision to go get help, that indecision on whether you should talk to your friend, that indecision on reaching out to, uh, to maybe authorities, that indecision, um, that affects both the victim 
and those around the victim. So I encourage you, if you are a victim of violent crime, step out, make the decision, get the help you need, okay? On the other side of things, if you are a friend or a loved one of someone that you suspect is a victim and you're trying to decide if you should jump in and help or not, don't sit on that fence too long because this is what people don't understand. Those around the victim have more strength than the victim does emotionally. So what's going to happen is at some point, the victim may not be able to make the decision, is too afraid, but those around can make the decision. They can go ahead and decide to, to reach out to that person and offer their help. They're, they can decide to reach out um, and get help for their friend, their child, their family member. Um, and so sometimes we get in such a weak point mentally and emotionally that we can't make the decision. And that's when we're depending on those that we love to help us. And so I encourage you, whether whichever side of that, uh, that situation you're on, whether you're the victim or your victim's friend or family, I, su- I suggest that you go ahead and decide to help. Go ahead and decide to get help because you actually may hold that person's life in your hands. You see, um, because once you get to a certain point of depression, it's almost like there's a point of no return. I have gotten so deep in that uh, that cesspool. It's like a dark, thick um, quicksand where you can't think, you can't breathe, you feel like you're suffocating, and yet everyone's happy and loving and all having a wonderful life around you, and you're just like, can't you see I'm dying here? Okay, well, sometimes you get to that point and you can't pull yourself out. And so you need those people that are standing around you to say, let me help you. Let me lend you a hand. Because eventually, and this is what's so scary, and and this may not be the big positive thinking message you think a life coach is going to give you. If you let them sit in that too long, they could eventually sink. And then they'll be gone. So we don't want, as those standing around the victim, we don't want to have that life in our hands and our indecision cost their life, okay? So it's very important that we break through that hesitancy and get help for those that we love because that depression can literally kill people. It literally causes so much pain. It causes people to, to get on, on, uh, on, on substances and abuse those substances. It causes them to overdose on substances. It causes suicide. It causes so much pain. And so our indecision could cost somebody's life. And I don't want to have that on my record when I go to face eternity. I want, you know, when I reach my maker, I want him to say, you know, I'm proud of you for going ahead and stepping out and helping so-and-so, even though it was uncomfortable, because that so-and-so was actually going to kill themselves two days later. 
And so that is what I interrupt you for a minute. You said, because, you know, even though it's uncomfortable and, and I think that was what stops a lot of people from helping because comfortable. Somebody says I'm depressed and it's very uncomfortable for the other person and, and they just don't know what to say. So something will come up like, well, just think happy thoughts, you know, and not uh, because it's yeah. uncomfortable for the person listening to it. Mm-hmm. I agree. And and this is what I want people to understand. Um, it might be uncomfortable, but is more, is your comfort more important than someone's life? You know, and when you think about it that way, the obvious answer is no, you know, but it's so easy to say those things and then, you know, doing them are different. But we are, we are, we need to get out of our ego and step into what we can do to help others. And that's what we're, we're supposed to be doing. Um, now, uh, does anybody else have a comment before I move on to number three? Nope. I think go on to number three. I think you're doing a good job here. There's a lot to think about. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, you guys just jump in and and I'll I'll hush. And and, uh, I do appreciate people that comment because this is a 90-minute show. And I'm a talker, so I can talk all day, you know, whatever. But, you know, every once in a while, it's nice to take a breath and to get a drink and, you know. But it also, it helps those that are listening get more than one, you know, more than one concept. You know, everybody's listening. They're, you're getting my point of view. That's great. You know, but it would be nice to get everyone else's. So if you have, if you want to comment um, out loud or if you want to type in a comment, uh, I'm, I, it's live on my Facebook and on my YouTube. So if you guys want to comment there, I'm running three devices so I can see it if you comment on my side of things. Um, but the concept is we want to help I just got a, I NASA. just got a message that uh, one of one of my friends has a comment on there. Um, okay. Says um, Amy, can you open her mic? I had to step away from the the phone for or the computer for a minute. Annie. Hello. It's, it's Hi. It's a two hundred nine number. Amy Anna. Hello. Hi. Go ahead, honey. Go me? ahead. You're my open. Okay. I just wanted to say, and um, I think all your ideas are very good, and people need to hear that. Is my comfort more important than somebody's life? Because um, being one who has struggled with suicide, it has been um, an issue, and there has been times in my life where um, maybe you can go into how we could be there for somebody. For me, it was um, when I was really struggling, a friend just called me up and said how grateful they were that I was in their life. And that made my day, and I survived that day, and I was just taking life by the day. But if you have any tips on how we could not, like, therapy or anything like that, how, how can we just support somebody going struggling if you have any tips like that that you can give us i'd love to hear them definitely yes definitely um i can do that i can definitely do that all right anyone else have a comment 
and I will I will go into the tips yeah. on how we can support and, other people. And the other the other side of that coin is if you are struggling and and feeling suicidal, um, how how can you reach out for help and say, hey, this is you know this is really important instead of putting yourself like on the back burner, trying to help other people and ignoring your own needs. Mhm. Mhm. Definitely. Uh that's something I still have to work on myself uh trying to help to the detriment of myself. And and so I have to make myself step back and remember self-care, self-care. That's the reason why I made number 8 neglect because we've got to remember to take care of ourselves so we can help other people. Um so she asked for tips on how we can support someone going through this. First thing we need to do, and there's all kinds of ways, and you kind of have to use your your um, a little bit of your intuition to figure out the best way for the situation you're in. Because unfortunately, in this world, there's way too many hurting people, and there's way too much uh, of this violent crime. And so, I wish I could say, okay, here's two steps. That's all you got to do. It's, it works every time, but it's not that way. First thing is. You need to understand as a as someone trying to help a victim, first of all, you need to understand that they are uncomfortable too, okay? They are uncomfortable in talking about it because our society likes to put this stuff in a corner and hide it because they're ashamed of it. And I am too. I'm ashamed to say that we have these kinds of things happening in our world. But that doesn't mean that there's any shame placed on the victim, okay? But we automatically, as humans, when we have been victimized, we automatically end up taking it onto ourselves. We say, oh, my, I must have done something to cause this. I am a horrible person. I this. And so we take that guilt onto us. Now, we've been hurt physically, and then we continue, when we take that guilt on ourselves, we continue to hurt mentally afterwards. And this is where you need to understand if you're uncomfortable helping this person, they're uncomfortable asking you to. But what we need to understand is it is okay. There's no shame in the fact that this person was hurt. And they shouldn't take the shame on themselves. And you need to understand that they are going to feel that way. That is a common thing for them to feel. So the first thing is you need to express your appreciation for this person, uh, express your love for this person, express your friendship for this person, and then let them know in whatever way is appropriate, you know, because sometimes after you've been victimized, um, you they may not want to be touched. You know, some people are touchy-feely and like hugs, and other people don't. They like you to stay so far away. Um, so you need to feel out the person that you're trying to help and figure out, match whatever they they are. So if you see them come up and they're right two inches from people's faces when they talk, um, then obviously they don't have any boundary issues. You know, they don't have this bubble that you're worried about. But you need to feel out the person and then show appropriate affection. Show them that you care and be legitimate about it. Don't uh, go in there and, and make a big show of it. Do it in private when it's just you and there's not a big crowd. Do it um, 
from your heart. Don't, don't let it be lip service. Let it be heart service. So first thing is show them you care and really let them feel your heart. Okay? The second tip to support is to encourage them to take that shame and put it back where it belongs. Okay? Because that shame and that guilt does not belong to them. But it's a human trait to take it on themselves. And they didn't do this. They didn't deserve this. And so you need to help them see that that guilt belongs to the attacker, to the abuser, not to them. Okay, so that's the first two things is, you know, show your love and affection in an appropriate way. And then also to, uh, to let them, help them understand that they are not deserving of that guilt and that they shouldn't take it on. Um, the next thing that you can do support um, you know, there's some just some basic things that you can do. One is be there. Anytime that is uh, you're available, send a text. How are you doing? Uh, I was just thinking about you. That little phrase, I was just thinking about you. There are some times when I was in the pit of depression that those little words, it doesn't take very long to text that. I was thinking about you. That brought me to tears and made me cry made me break down completely because I was hurting so bad and I felt so alone. And in that, in that dark, uh, in that dark pit that you're in, you feel like you're the only person on the planet that's ever been there. You don't realize that right two foot to your right is probably somebody else going through it too. You know, and somebody right over there sitting on your couch is going through it too because we're too busy separating ourselves out from each other when when we're uncomfortable and that's not what we're supposed to do we're supposed to draw together because humans are social creatures and we need other humans we need that support system we need that group um that understanding that's all in one mindset to to help us grow and become what we need to be so so make sure you you uh, you let them know you know that you're thinking about them text them call them Drop a card in the mail. I know a lot of people don't do that much anymore, um, but I have a couple cards that I'm going to buy tomorrow because I have some friends that are going through some things, and uh, I have a couple clients, a couple coaching clients that are going through things, and I'm going to get them a card tomorrow when I get my groceries. Um, why? It's just a card. It takes 50 cents to mail it. Most people don't do it. They think, oh, well, that's an archaic thing. Nobody mails letters. Yes, that's the point. When you yeah. are dying in the pit of despair <laughs> and you get a card, it means so much. Yeah. My kids call it snail mail, but, you know, my, my grandma used to uh, write to me like once a month. And she'd write these long letters, and all it was was like, I went out and built a fire today and I watered my flowers and, you know, how you doing? And I just loved going to the mailbox just to see if the letter was there, you know, and I wrote back to her and it made me feel good that, you know, she'd say, oh, I got your letter. It made me so happy, you know, and, and it does, it really builds, you know, the relationship that I, I agree a lot of people miss. So mm-hmm. I started doing that with my grandchild too, you know, like, yeah. um, I got, I got a, a Christmas present one year for, I got a Barbie car, you know, and it was, it was secondhand and everything, but I sent it and, uh, 
they were so excited about it. You know, she's so excited about it. Uh, oh, Grandma sent me a Barbie car. My daughter put it on Facebook. <laughs> you know, it was just, yeah. it yeah. made me feel really good. Yeah. It made, reminded me of my grandma and I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how many years, you know, I mean, I'm not asking you how old you are, but I mean, think about how many years that yeah. has been, yeah. how long ago it's been. And it's still, yeah. you can hear in your voice how much joy it brings you. Even to this day, you can yeah. hear your the, your tone of voice changes. And and yeah. that is how powerful that, because all she was doing was saying, I'm thinking of you. You see, you see yeah. she didn't have anything real to say. She's telling you about what the dog's doing, what the cat's doing, what's this doing, what's, you know. Yeah. But she's just telling you, I'm thinking about you. And that is so powerful yeah. for someone who has struggling and, and for somebody who's been in, in this kind of thing. Send a card, send a text, call when you can. You know, if you know that they like a certain, they like a certain food, go buy and I've gone before and I've, I've went and bought uh, people just, they liked a Big Mac. So I went and just on a random, I called, are you home? Of course I knew they'd be home. And I'd be like, yeah, I, can I stop by? Sure. Okay. So I stop by and I hand them a Big Mac in the door, mm-hmm. you know. It, mm-hmm. it didn't take five minutes out of my way, but that meant so much to this person because nobody mm-hmm. else paid attention. Nobody else cared, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's yeah. what we need to understand. The best way to support someone who's hurting is just show them how much you care. Don't avoid yeah. the situation because it's uncomfortable. Get in there, get your hands dirty, and show them how much you care. And that's that's exactly what you need to do. And and you can take that, you know, we could go on all night of different specific things to do. Um, right. But uh, I, uh, I am uh, to the point where I feel like we need to, we need to just get back to realizing we are one family on this planet. It doesn't matter what color, what you know, where you're from, how you talk, you know, how much money you make, what side of the uh, the street you were born on, you know, it doesn't matter what your preferences are. Preferences, I can't even say that word. It doesn't matter. We all come from one family. We're all human beings. We're all one race, and and the more we can get back to that the better our planet will be. And so this is this is the best way to support someone is to just open your heart and show them that that you care. And then if you've been a victim of violent crime, be there and listen. You know, let them know that they're not the only one that's been through this and let them know that you've been through it. And then they can look at you and you become their beacon of hope. We like, "Wow, She's been through this. Look at what all she's accomplished. She's not surviving. She's thriving. I bet I can do it too. And and you become that beacon of hope that they need so bad. And that's what we want to do uh, and, and why I love NASCA so much. That's what they do here, um, that we try to be there to support people who just need to tell their story and get it off their chest. Um, but I was talking to them when, when I was, uh, you know, going to sign up to do this. I want to also give tips on how to go past that. I don't want to just uh, get, stay in that rehashing phase because when you rehash, and this is something, you know, I'm kind of getting off topic, this is something that we need to understand. 
your subconscious mind and your body doesn't know the difference between an imagined event and a real one. Your thoughts trigger biochemical reactions in your body. So it's either going to send out stress hormones or it's going to send out good hormones that help heal your body and give you relaxation and all this stuff. Now, when you go and you rehash, now I realize at some point you have to get it off your chest. I'm not saying that. But there's a point where you've got to stop because you are literally re-triggering those same mental uh, those little systems throughout your brain, all those little pathways, those neural pathways in there, you're triggering the same thing up there in your head that happened that way back when that trauma first happened. Now, what's going to happen is your body's going to respond the same way. Your subconscious mind's going to respond the same way. So you're still going to get a huge dose of cortisol sent through your system. You're still going to get that, that heavy breathing panic attack feeling. You're still going to get all of those negative things. Your mind is going to perceive the pain that you went through. Everything's going to happen physically the same way because our subconscious can't tell the difference between the story and the truth. Okay? So, and this is a topic that, you know, if you get off into studying how the brain works, that's how they brainwash people. Um, they, they tell them these lies over and over and over again until they believe it, you know. But this is the thing. We need to talk to professionals. We need to talk and get our stories out there. We need to get it off of our chest. But we also need to learn how to move past it. Because if that's all we're doing is rehashing over and over and over again, you're going to end up causing more harm to yourself than good. And so we really want to, uh, that's what I told them when I signed on. I want to, you know, we want to rehash, you know, we want to give our testimonial of how we've come through. We want to go through, you know, those that are hurting need to hash it out and, and get it off their chest, yes. But we need to walk that fine line and we need to give out positive things that can help us go past that too because we don't want to re-trigger those fear responses in our brains and cause more harm to our bodies. Our bodies have been harmed enough. We need to move on and live again. So this is where, you know, we want to really watch out what we're doing here. Um, number four is worry. Number four, or number three. I didn't go over three. Doubt. Doubt is number three. Okay, anybody have something to say before I go to doubt? Doubt sounds good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to hurry because it looks like we've only got 30 minutes. Uh, we've I've talked a lot already. Okay, so doubt. Doubt is, is the number three because um, doubt causes so much trouble. Doubt is where we're not sure of something. It could be we doubt ourselves, we doubt our worthiness, we doubt, we're like, oh, well, she can do that, or, or Bob over there in Australia, he can overcome 20 years of depression, um, but I can't. And that kind of doubt is what's going to hinder us from even trying. And what's so, worry, what's so worrisome about doubt is it's one of those little weeds that sneak in real, 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 real sneaky. It does, you don't think about it, and you're thinking, well, he can do it, but I can't. And then you think, oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can. If he can, I can, you know. And so you really have to watch it. 
Doubt is the opposite of faith. And, and I love it. Bob Proctor says, if you have to doubt something, then doubt your limits. You know, my, I, you say, well, I, I can't do that because I don't have enough money. Well, doubt that saying. You know, any of these uh, limiting mindsets that you think you have, doubt those. Don't doubt yourself. Doubt those. You know, because you are the highest form of creation on this planet. You have all of these higher faculties that the dogs and the cats and the trees and all those things don't have. You are capable. They humans are so much more capable than we realize, and and we're we're pushed down by pressure, we're pushed down uh, by society, by other people, and and we we get to doubting so much that we 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 don't even try, and that's where doubt is so deadly. We want to make sure that um, to go over doubt, and and you know I'm going to give you going to some tips to overcome doubt because. We know doubt's not good, blah, 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 but let me give you some tips. The first thing you need to do is you need to verbalize your doubt. So, uh, well, I'm going to use Mr. Bob as an example. I hope that's okay. Um, Bob can overcome his 20 years of depression, but I can't. Okay, so that's our saying. We need to say that out loud. Now, how ridiculous does it sound when I say Bob can do it, but I can't? Okay. Well, Bob did it. Why can't I? You know, sometimes when we say it, when our ears hear it, when we hear that verbal, it's like, oh, wait, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. Okay? And so sometimes just by saying it, it helps us. So we need to, we need to say it out loud. We need to identify what is the source of the doubt. Am I doubtful of myself? Am I doubtful of my worry? Am I doubtful of my education? Maybe I think I need more education before I can do it. Maybe I think I need more resources or more connections. Uh, you know, what exactly are you doubting? You know, um, once you figure out exactly what you're doubting, then you can counter it. So you can say, okay, well, there are lots of successful people who have less money than I do, who ha- who started with less money than I have. Uh, there are a lot of successful people who started out with a with with less of an education than I have. You know, so you can counter each one of those doubt statements after you actually label them and identify them. So you start with labeling, figure out what the doubt statement is, and then counter it. Okay. So let's go on to number four because I'm running behind. So four is worry. Now, worry, I absolutely, this is one of those things that I think, oh, yeah, I don't have to worry, and then I do. And you find yourself doing it, and you're getting yourself sick to your stomach because you've stressed about something, and then it doesn't even happen. Uh, How many things have you really stressed yourself out about over your lifetime, and then you turn back and you're like, well, 99% of that didn't happen. You know, so we worry about things. And what worry is, and this is what's really crazy. As children, children tend to have a very vivid, wild imagination, all exciting and rainbows and unicorns and fantasy worlds and Star Wars, you know, all these things, you know, all of a sudden they can take a stick and it becomes a lightsaber, you know, and we still have that same imagination in our heads. But as adults, it may not be proper, or we don't think it is, to get out there with a stick and pretend like it's a lightsaber, you know, and play swords with our siblings. Um, But our imagination still works like that. So what happens is when we get to worrying about things and we connect our emotions to it, 
when we worry, we connect our emotions, and then that lights up that wild and crazy imagination. See, that wild and crazy imagination is going to take that little bitty thing that you're worried about, and it's going to make you freak out. It's going to build and build and build and build, and you're going to have so much drama in your head. And then six months later, you're going to look back and you think, why was I so worried about that? That doesn't make any sense. I know better than that. Well, it's because we're kicking in that, that imagination that used to, as a child, used to entertain us, that used to work in our benefit, and we're using it against ourselves. So we need to really step back and think, okay, this is what I'm worrying about. This is all it is. Let's not make a snowball out of this, okay? So this is where that is the, that's that next sneaky little weed we need to worry about. Number five, I got a quick question in there. When you mentioned when you mentioned you know, pick up a stick and use it as a lightsaber or whatever. So, you know, mm-hmm. um sometimes people will hear that and they'll go, Wait a minute, when I was a kid somebody picked up a stick and hit me and yeah. and goes yeah. back into that negative mm-hmm. um mindset mm-hmm. of those memories. Yep. Um so how how do you stop that? Well that is a freight train running out of control. And this is something that I have to work with on my own every day. And this is something that you're not going to hear from Tony Robbins or any of the big gurus because they like to pretend like they have it all together. Well, I'm telling you, I don't. All of this stuff I studied, I didn't study it for you guys. I started studying this to fix myself, to to build myself up, to figure out what the heck do I need to do to get out of that emotional yeah. roller coaster and figure out how to fix myself for my children's sake. So this is me telling you and being honest with you. You need to understand first that that is a freight train out of control. And the longer you let it go, it's going to run downhill and it's going to get faster and faster and bigger and worse. So this is a little saying that my kids and I have come up with. I have a whole video series on YouTube that you guys can look up and uh, and it's called turn your camera because our minds work like the lens on a camera and it can only focus on what's in front of the camera lens okay it doesn't see everything else it just sees what we're looking at our brain does the same thing and i won't get into the details because we don't have time but uh we have to forcibly move that lens to something else if you want to see something else and that's what you've got to do with your mind when you start getting into that negative state. So we're talking about using the example that you said. Um, I mentioned picking up a stick and making a lightsaber out of it. Somebody thinks, oh, my gosh, my abuser hit me with a stick. Okay, right there is when you need to stop that train. Okay, you need to pull up those tracks and get that train moving somewhere else. And so what do you do? Every time you get to that point and you get that very first feeling inside. Because, see, when you say that, your your whole biochemistry in your body changes. You can feel it. Your stomach starts to crunch up. You start, uh, your chest starts getting tight. You don't even think about it. But when you first say that first negative thing in your head, you've got to make yourself forcibly turn that camera, turn that lens to something positive. It is hard. It is not easy. But it is something that is necessary. You've got to do that. And the good news is our brains are, pre- are reprogrammable. We have um, this whole new science 
back in the 50s, they said once you got to a certain age, your brain started decaying. There was nothing you could do about it. Um, now there's neuroplasticity of the brain. People are studying how you can reroute those circuits up there in your brain. And so it is possible. So what we need to do is we need to have the practice of forcibly turning our camera to something positive, and that's laying out those train tracks to make it go a different way. And then eventually in your mind, your brain will literally hardwire that circuit in, and then all of a sudden you'll find, you know, maybe years later, maybe months later, however long it takes you to reprogram that, uh, you'll find eventually that you automatically do that and you'll look up and you go like, oh, wait, wow, that used to trigger me. Uh, that whole, you know, picking up a stick, that whole phrase would just trigger me immediately. And you'll kind of wake up and say, hey, it doesn't affect me that way no more. And, and that's what I find so fascinating about the brain and how the brain works because we're not taught these things in school. We're not taught that we can reprogram that up there. That brain up there is the massive, most intellectual, insane, awesome supercomputer that's ever been designed. It's an electronic switching station that's full of electricity, and it can be programmed. It can be reprogrammed through repetition and through emotional connections, for good or for bad. So if we can train our, ourselves to stop that train where it's at and turn it, okay, if we can turn that long enough, our brain's going to rewire that circuit, and that old circuit's going to just be broke down and like a dirt road. It's, it's there, but it's not effective anymore, and eventually it'll just die away. And so um, that is something that my, my family and my kids, even when I start getting negative now, my, my little 10-year-old ballerina should be like, Mom, turn your camera. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, and so this is, um, this is what I do. I literally do that. And then I have, and I know it's crazy, but this is something that they, they'll teach you in AA and everything else. Um, when I'm having a, bad, a series of, of bad time and I'm trying to pull myself out of it again, I will wear a rubber band around my wrist. And every time I start going down that negative, I flick it. Oh, it hurts. And then, the, but that pain triggers that response in your brain, and you're like, oh. And you'll get to where your brain's going to be like, oh, every time you get negative, you're going to feel that pain again. You're like, ah, don't do that. And so it takes repetition. It's simple, but it's not easy. But it has to be done. So we've got to turn our camera. And one of these days I'm going to make a T-shirt that says turn your camera. Uh, because that's that's the yeah. best thing. And then and um, say, what I need to explain it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, when I turn 60, uh, people are going, oh, you're six years old? I says, yeah, six years old. Now it's my time to start living. <laughs> you know, and they're just kind of they're not sure what that means. But. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it gives you a chance to spread some joy and spread some, some peace and understanding. And so the next thing is um, you need guys you need to look up my videos on laughter therapy. Laughter therapy has been helping me so much when I'm having, I, I'm in the middle of, my life is kind of uh, dumped upside down in the last two and a half years. I've lost 16 people. We had to sell our house and move and trying to build a house and they're taking forever. And, and it's, it's just, you know, crazy in my personal life. And so I've had to actually been doing, you know, be doing these things. So I'm telling you it works from someone who's doing it right now. Um, but uh, the next thing is laughter therapy. Laughter therapy is where you turn on something that makes you belly laugh. 
So I have been listening to a lot of comedy, a lot of little kids' funny shows or whatever, anything that just makes you laugh out loud because when you laugh, it literally fills your body full of all of these good hormones and it literally pushes the cortisol and the adrenaline out. And so you do that enough, it literally makes you feel better from the inside out. And then, of course, it's also turning your camera from the negative to the positive. So um, anytime you can do that, you really need to stop that train. And, and it's, it, like I said, it's, it's a simple thing, but it's not easy. It's, it's kind of hard, but you will reprogram it. Um, okay, any more comments? I've got uh, four more. Any more comments? <laughs> Hi, Keith. Thank you for signing on. I see you and Cricket and Billy. Thank you for signing on. I see you guys on my end. I appreciate you guys. Okay, well, I'm going to continue. Number uh, number four, we talked about worry. Number five is overcautiousness or timidity. Now, timidity is something that we we kind of get kind of get bred into us. And this is this is what I, I want to I, I quote from scripture a lot and I don't want you to think that I am I'm trying to preach it nobody, but there's a lot of good things in, in there. They call it a good book for a reason. Um, but there's a lot of things in there. But they say humility is a virtue. Okay? Well sometimes that has been ground into our head to be humble, to be humble, to be humble. Nobody likes arrogant jerks. Um, so humility is great, humility is great. Well, sometimes you can be so humility, so much humbleness, so much, so much, so much, that you're so afraid to be prideful, and you're so afraid that you don't want to have overconfidence that you end up with an inferiority complex. So you can take it to extremes on both ends, okay? So humility is a virtue, but timidity is a disease, okay? So overcautiousness or timidity it is 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 going to kill you. You it's going to kill your dreams. It's going to keep you in that victim mentality. That timidity is going to keep you from asking for help from those that you need help from. That timidity is going to keep you in that quicksand because you're too timid to reach out to the person that's reaching their hand out. You know, because see, this is this is one of those hard lessons as a coach that I've learned. I'm sitting on the sidelines. I know what it feels like to be in that quicksand. I'm reaching as far as I can, trying my best to reach them, but they won't reach out to me. And you realize eventually that they've got to make the choice to help themselves, you know, and that comes from that doubt and from that timidity, okay? And so we want to realize that we don't want to take humility and being humble to an extreme. Okay? We don't want to take it to where it's an inferiority complex and that we don't reach out a hand to those that are trying to help us. If you're in that quicksand of despair right now and somebody's trying to help you, it does take a little bit of action on your part. You just simply reach your hand out. Okay? And that person will pull you out to the best of their ability. They will help you and they will give you the community that you need, that support but you have to not be so timid that you don't accept the help. You can lead a horse to water, you know, but you can't make them drink. That's how, however that saying goes. Number six, this one is pessimism. Pessimism, pessimism is a disease. 
Now you say, okay, there's the glass half full people, there's the glass half empty people, um, there's the people that, you know, uh, just want to say, well, I'm just thankful to have a glass. Well, if you're dying of thirst, what good does a glass do? Okay? So don't be all uh, stuck up and say, oh, I'm just thankful to have a glass. Those glasses are refillable is the point of all of that. So why stay in the negative mindset and say, well, I've only got half a glass full, or I'm just thankful I have a glass. You know, that sounds really humble. Well, I just, I'm just thankful to have a glass. Well, you're going to die of thirst if you don't put some water in it. Okay? The point is you don't want to get to the point where this is keeping you from doing what you need to do. You don't want to be so pessimistic that, oh, well, it's going to all fall apart. We're all going to, well, let me tell you something that sounds really, really pessimistic, but it's not intended to be that way. You're not going to make it out of this deal alive. There's nobody that has lived for eternity on this planet. You know, uh, you're going to die eventually. So here's the thing. That might sound pessimistic. But do you want to spend your time? Do you want to spend your time complaining because you've only got half a glass of water? Or do you want to walk over and get some more water in it? You know, it's real simple. But we get so pessimistic about things. Yes, the world might be falling down around our ears. Um, you know, in America, our economy's not doing good. We've got all kinds of chaos. But here's the thing. What you focus on, you're going to feel. What you turn your camera to and you are looking at, constantly that's what's going to affect you on the inside that's what your that's what your whole outlook is going to be of the world is what you're focusing on so if you choose to be pessimistic you're not going to take your opportunities you're not going to try to reach out of that pit of despair you're not going to reach for the hand that's trying to help you you're not going to you're not going to receive life's blessings you know uh, a tree doesn't sit there and say hmm it doesn't look like it's going to rain for six years, so I'm going to die. No, a tree just sits there. The rain comes. It soaks it up. The sun comes. It soaks it up. It does its job. It grows as high as it can possibly grow. It doesn't stop halfway like humans do. See, if you're not dead yet, I think you have a reason to be here. And maybe that's pretty crass, but if you're still alive, you have a reason. You have a purpose. You don't need to sit there in your pessimistic little self on your rocking chair, just saying, oh, well, it's going to rain, so I'm not going to do anything today. It might rain next Tuesday, so I'm not going to do anything till after next Tuesday, um, because you're just wasting your life. So pessimist, uh, pessimistic is where you really want to watch out, because that weed can really destroy everything, and it can keep you from doing what you need to do. It can keep you from from getting the help you need. It can keep you from helping those that are in need. So uh, number seven is complaining. Trying to hurry because we're getting close on time. Complaining. This is number seven. I hate complaining. Now, here's the thing. I'm in the middle of a, a very stressful thing right now in my life. So easy to complain about it. But here's the thing. My mom told me something when I was a teenager. And you know how teenagers are. We're always, you know, sometimes we're whiny about stuff, but we don't want to do anything about it. And she got tired of hearing it. And she said, if you don't like it, then do something about it. And I thought, okay, 
So I started trying to do something about it. Well, then you get a little older and you think, there are some things in life you can't do nothing about. So that saying falls apart. And then I thought, no, it don't. No, it don't. Right now, you might be going through heck on earth. Okay? And you say, well, if you don't like it, do something about it. Well, somehow I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. The only thing you can do in some circumstances is to change your mindset about it. Okay? I don't like the situation I'm in right now. I want my house to be done. It should have been done nine months ago. I should have already had my house. Okay? I can't do nothing about it. We have pushed and pushed and pushed, and the contractors are not doing what they said they would do, and we can't do nothing about it at this point. So the only thing I can do is change my mindset about it. Okay? Now, does that mean that the problem's not there? Yeah, it is. It's still there. But my attitude completely changes, and I'm able to handle it better. And so that's what we need to understand. You could always do something about your mindset, okay? You can choose to complain or you can choose to change your mindset. And that's one thing I hate worse than anything. My kids will get in more trouble for complaining and then not doing anything about it. I'm like, if you don't like it, get up and do something, you know? It's too hot. Well, turn the fan on. I don't need to know that you are too hot. Turn the fan on. Just do something about it. You know, it's constant things like that. But in life, sometimes we get into those things where we can't change the fact that we're in that cesspool of despair. We can't change the fact that we're dying in that quicksand, but we can change our mindset. All it takes in that quicksand of depression, it sounds simple, but it's not. I know it's not. When you're in that quicksand, all it takes is a change of mindset that you are going to live and you are not going to die and you are going to do what you were put here to do. You are going to get out of that, come heck or high water. That change in attitude, that change in mindset is the difference between life and death sometimes. Okay? So don't complain. Do something about it. And if you can't do nothing about it, change your mindset. Okay? The last one that I'm going to talk about is eight. That's the one I couldn't remember the word. It's neglect. And this is something Keith is on this call. Uh, He harasses me sometimes because I'm one of those empathic personalities. I give and give and give, and I have to remember not to give to my own detriment. Okay? Neglecting your self-care. Neglecting the time you need for yourself. Now, I have ADHD. um, That's a little touch of OCD in some things. Um, But I'm also very empathic, so that means I feel the emotions of other people around me, and it gets overwhelming sometimes. And I still feel like I need help, so I try to go and go and go. But at some point in time, I have to get off and get quiet and get by myself. I have to have quiet time of reflection to get myself put back together, to heal myself, and then I can go back out and give my heart again. Okay, I, I give my heart until it's crushed, and then there's nothing left. I have to come back. And so that that disease of attitude, the last little weed is neglect. Don't forget, don't neglect yourself in the process. Don't neglect all the things you need to do for your spiritual care, for your mental health, for your physical health. And so the last weed is is uh self-care. Don't don't neglect yourself in the process. So Just going down the list one last time, the weeds of attitude, indifference, indecision, doubt, worry, overcautiousness or timidity, pessimism, complaining, 
and neglect. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. So we've got 10 minutes left. I'm going to open everything up. I want you guys to jump in and comment and let me know what you think of this. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I wasn't sure if my mic was on or not. This is Amy Anna. And uh-huh. I just want to say awesome presentation. I really enjoyed listening to you tonight. And there's a it's jam-packed full of useful information. And I'm just trying to take it all in bit by bit and I'll probably have to listen to this again. But yeah, there is you did a wonderful job and I guess that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for coming <laughs> Thank in. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate um um uh, William and um I appreciate all those at NASCA that allow me to come on once a month and to blither and talk. Um, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share what I've been studying, and um, I hope it helps somebody. I do know on NASCA, um, the replay will be there in the archive section. Um, I did get permission to share it on my uh, stuff as well and link back just to help cross-promote. So. Um, uh, it'll be on my YouTube channel for replays. And then if you get over on my YouTube channel, uh, you'll find a lot more information like this. You'll get some more details in, like, the turn your camera thing and how the yeah. brain will help. And so it's just yeah. how uh, look up on YouTube. How can we find you on YouTube? YouTube? And you also mentioned some of your other podcasts and things. So if you could run down yeah. where you're at and how we can find you and how we can listen to more information on the points that you made. Yeah. Um, my website is sonovainc.com, Y-N-O-V-A-I-N-K.com. There's a blog on there. There's video series. There's uh, some of my coaching programs and everything. Then I'm on YouTube under Sonova Cantrell, so youtube.com forward slash Sonova Cantrell. And, um, of course, I'm on Facebook in several places. I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh I'm I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, but I'm not very active on those. So, um, and then my email is sonovainc at gmail dot com. So if you ever need uh, some support, um, I, I will try to help you as much as I can. My schedule's fairly busy, but I will try to help you. I do know on the NASCA website there's a lot of resources available as well. And I know, I believe, Victoria, you are co-host, too, on some Thursdays, I believe. Um, so there's all kinds of shows here that, um, and everybody here is there to help. So, um, yeah, I'll go ahead and get on my Facebook. I accept friend requests, unless you look like a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> I won't accept your friend request, but, uh, or a spam account. Um I will, you know, I, it's it's a business account, so I accept everyone. You can get on there and friend request mm-hmm. me, um, and uh, we will, uh, I will help you any way that I can. And then, uh, Sonova, can you spell your last name? Because you said um, Sonova um, yes. and, and Cantrell, so if people, yes. yeah, so if people uh, yeah, want to find you, uh, they'll spell it. Yeah, um, Cantrell, C-A-N-T-R. E-L-L. So, Sonova Cantrell. And so, uh, I have several (laughs) books on Amazon. Some of them are true crime, so I wouldn't suggest them uh, to anyone who still has triggers. 
um, I do have some coaching books and some self-help books as well. So I've got um, a gratitude journal and some goal-setting workbooks. And a new book I'm working on is called Whispers of the Mind, How Thoughts Become Things. And it's going to be out soon. Um, and it goes into more detail of how the brain is wired and how we can redirect it and all the stuff we talked about tonight. This is actually going to be part of my book. There's a, it's going to cover a couple of chapters as well. So, um, But you can find me just about anywhere. If you type in Sonova Inc., I-N-K, or Sonova Cantrell, you can usually find me about anywhere. Any more oh, comments? Any? I wanted to let people know, too, that um, – uh, NASCA is coming out now with a um, newsletter. It hasn't been going on for a couple of years now. And uh, Amy Anna and I are working on that. And so we're looking uh, for people that want to um, get involved with uh, possibly uh, being highlighted as their stories or if they have poetry or artwork, whatever. Um, and that information will be in the newsletter. If you want to sign up for the newsletter, just go to NASCA.org and there's a spot for signing up for the newsletter. And uh, we sure appreciate everybody that came on tonight, and uh, especially Sonova. Lots still? of great information. Huh? Oh, is my mic still on? I just wanted to make a comment that Sonova Inc. Mm-hmm. is I-N-K, not I-N-C. <laughs> I just looked up the website. Yeah, that's a pun. Instead of incorporated, it's I-N-K because I'm a writer, so it's it's a pun. <laughs> I like that. I like awesome. that a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, Annie, are you still yeah. there? Would you like to make any comments? I am here. Thank you. I just wrote a note to look on your website for your gratitude journal. I'm interested in that. Um, and I wrote a lot of notes, as I often do, and one of the things I wrote down I will share. Quote, if you have to doubt something, doubt your limits. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure who said it. Um, if you have to doubt something, doubt your limits. I believe that was Bob Proctor. Yes. Yeah, Bob Proctor. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah, you. I tell I my really grandchild like all the time. Yeah, I tell my grandchild all the time, don't reach for the stars, reach beyond. That's because there's mm-hmm. always something beyond the stars. Yeah. Yeah. I think Les Brown said, yeah. uh, shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you'll still be out amongst the stars. Yep. That's right. That's right. And uh, I, I really like, too, that, you know, if, if things are going bad, a lot of times it's just changing your attitude, um, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. then also um, I know that, like, in the program and stuff, um, I'm in AA. I got, you know, 36 years sober. Mm-hmm. But I still struggle. Yeah. I like that you said, you know, I'm still str- I still struggle. And some people think, mm-hmm. you know, if you're at a certain point in your life and you've done all these things that you don't struggle and it's harder to ask for help. You know, it's harder to yeah. say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. um, they think you got, you know, and then people are putting all these wonderful things on Facebook, you know, they're all the things you're doing and everything. And we tend to think that, boy, their lives are so wonderful, but we don't realize that, you know, life is difficult mm-hmm. and uh, we all yeah. need each other. I agree with that. You know, we're the human mm-hmm. race, you know, to me, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I pray for wisdom and, and all that, but I also pray that I can give love out to the world and that, mm-hmm. you know, at least I can hopefully touch one person during the day that, right. you know, even the smell at somebody might be the only smell they've gotten for a week or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. And, uh, right. yeah, I just want to say well, too and that. Then I um, appreciate the fact yeah. that you said you've, you've been struggling for 36 years. 
Um, people yeah. don't feel comfortable in that. So by you expressing that, it's, it makes yeah. somebody else realize, oh, I'm okay. This is normal. Yeah. You know, so it goes back to that, you know, trying to tell people that it, it's okay to be uncomfortable, you know, um, and break through that uncomfortableness and, and express it anyways. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and sometimes I have, you know, I'm going and I have a really, really, you know, it seems like the morning and afternoon or whatever, you know, it's just it's so rough and stuff. And I used to say, well, the whole day is ruined, you know. And now I tell yeah. myself, I can start the day over anytime I want. You know? Right. <laughs> and, right. And, that and was and just I, one of those you know. links in that train. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, we also have a support group um, Tuesdays, um, Thursdays, and Sundays. From uh, 1 to 2.30 Central, you can all do your math on your times. And uh, we've got 90 seconds left. So I just want to say uh, God bless all adult survivors of child abuse and um, God bless all the children of the world. And we're all here for the children. That's one of our main concerns is keeping children safe. Thank you, everybody, for coming and continue to come back and support our guests and support each other. Thank you, everybody. And uh, let's see. Let me play the music. Don't